Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. I'm Michelle Laurie, and this is the Nitty Gritty Committee: conversations about the guts and the glory of life. A lot of people don't like my comedy. A lot of white people don't like my comedy. A lot of white people say this to me. Hey, Amir. Hey. Get on stage. You make your jokes about white people. You say white people this, white people that. What if I did something like that, huh? What if I got on stage and I said, yeah, black people are like this. Muslims are like that. You'd probably call me a racist, wouldn't you? And I say, yeah, yeah, I would. Yeah, you should, you should never do that. That's, that's bad for your health. They're like, well, you do that, Amir. You do that. You get on stage. You make your jokes about white people. Don't you think that's a kind of racism? Don't you think that's... Dun, dun, dun. Reverse racism. I said, no. I don't think that's reverse racism. Not because, not because I think reverse racism doesn't exist, right? If you ask some black and brown people, they'll tell you flat out there is no such thing as reverse racism. I don't agree with that. I think there is such a thing as reverse racism. And uh, I, could be, I could be a reverse racist if I wanted to. Uh, all I would need would be a uh, time machine, right? And uh, what I'd do is I'd get in my time machine, I'd go back in time, to before Europe colonized the world, right? And uh, I'd convince the leaders of Africa, Asia, the Middle East, Central and South America to uh, invade and colonize Europe, right? Just occupy them, steal their land and resources, set up some kind of like, I don't know, trans-Asian slave trade where we exported white people to work on giant rice plantations in China. Just ruin Europe over the course of a couple of centuries so all their descendants would want to migrate out and live in the places where black and brown people come from. Of course, in that time, I'd make sure I set up systems that privilege black and brown people at every conceivable social, political, and economic opportunity. <laughs> white people would never have any hope of real self-determination. Just every couple of decades, make up some fake war as an excuse to go and bomb them back to the Stone Age and say it's for their own good because their culture is inferior. And then, just for kicks, subject white people to colored people's standards of beauty. So they, end up hating the color of their own skin, eyes, and hair. If, after hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years of that, I got on stage at a comedy show and said, hey, what's the deal with white people? Why can't they dance? That would be reverse racism. Robin, thank you, you've been great tonight. I'm a 
Rahman and Nazim Hussain built a dedicated following as a double act called Fear of a Brown Planet. They even had an Australian Story episode dedicated to them. That is fully cool. Although they're still very close friends, their careers have taken very different turns since they stopped working together. On one side, you've got Nazim, who inches ever closer to multimedia domination with TV and radio appearances aplenty. But for Amr, the last couple of years have panned out differently. To the casual observer, it can seem like he's always involved in some kind of battle. I've read about battles of yours um, with other comics. Yeah. Uh, look, you know, like I've got my whole my whole career is kind of very different. So, like, you know, I don't... I choose very carefully where I perform. Um, I'm not... You know, like I meet other comics who just need to be on stage. I mean, and you know this. Mm-hmm. People who just need to be on stage because they really love being on stage. Those like people they, who can't be at a gig without itching to get up and get right. on stage. Yeah. yeah. And I'm just, I'm just the total opposite. You know what I mean? I started stand up very late. I started when I was 26. Mm-hmm. So I had a life before stand up. I still have a life outside stand up. And stand up for me is about these ideas and talking to people who get these ideas. I'm not trying to jump up in front of a crowd of people who are not into this and, you know, in the last five minutes of a 20 minute set get a laugh out of them and feel like I won the crowd. You know, that's just not, that's not what I'm trying to do. So I'm always trying to look for people who are into that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, you, I don't do a lot of sort of the regular stand-up circuit or anything like that. I'm really about hosting my own shows and people have seen enough of me on YouTube where they know what they're coming to see and then, you know, and it's just more enjoyable that way. Like I, I guess because my stuff's online, people react to it badly and then they think, oh, this... You know, you must enjoy, like, making audiences uncomfortable. Like, I really don't. It's a, it's a comedy show. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. people are there to have a good time. I'm not there to ruin someone's night. And so, they're your people. Exactly. Mm. Exactly. So, yeah, I, I really um, I really spend as much time, I tell people, I spend as much time getting to the right audience as I do actually writing writing the material. Mm. Um, tell us about the Bollywood party. Oh, the Bollywood party. Wow. <laughs> you know, I've never, ever spoken about this. Really? Have you not? Well, I mean, it kind of happened. <laughs> it happened, and then uh, no one ever asked me about it. Wow. So, um, so it was, it was, I was doing my debut solo show at a major international comedy festival, and uh, they announced that the theme for the rap party was going to be Bollywood, which I immediately knew was going to be a number of white people dressed inappropriately. Um, not everyone, obviously. Um, but, I mean, a, a season at a festival is exhausting. Mm. And I just thought, fuck, like, I don't want to be that. Like, I don't always want to be that guy. Like, yeah. I de- people already think I'm that guy yeah. when I'm not. But I don't want to be the guy who just turns up and wags his finger at everyone and no one's allowed to have fun because Amir is here. And, you know because what I mean? the cultural inappropriation cop right, is exactly. here. Exactly. Yeah. So, <laughs> but then it's like it was the last night and I was literally walking past the party and I just thought, you know what? Like, I just felt some kind of responsibility that if, like, if I don't go in there, like, and at least make one person uncomfortable about what they're doing, then just no one is going to think twice about this in the future. So I went in and it was just, it was just so much worse than what I, what I could have predicted. And it wasn't like, I think most comedians had the sense not to dress up. Mm-hmm. Um, but there was just people there just wearing just the most horrific, just the most horrible, inappropriate clothing and it was everything from Bollywood to, like, a guy was dressed as a cow. Like, literally was dressed as a cow. And so, 
And so I, I found like another comedian. I was like, hey, look, I just need you to take some photos. Like, I just need to remember this. And so I went up to people and said, hey, I'm actually judging the best costume contest. Can you take some photos with me? I took photos of like, you know, maybe the 10 most inappropriate costumes. <laughs> and I put them on my private Facebook page. And I like blacked out people's eyes so you couldn't tell who they were. And then I wrote some silly captions underneath because they were, they were outrageous. Like, they were so outrageous. I'm not just talking about like people just wearing a sari. I'm talking about like people with like seven dots on their head or like people just who wrapped cloth around themselves. It was a guy who had a turban that was a, like a coiled up snake. Just like, cra- like crazy stuff. So I put it on my Facebook, put some silly captions underneath, and then BuzzFeed ripped them from my Facebook and wow. turned it into a post that went viral yeah. overnight. And yeah. it was like... And it was like 110,000 views in like under 24 hours. Because a lot of people didn't understand. And I certainly did. I must admit, had I been invited to a Bollywood party, I would have thought, well, I'm not dressing up because I hate costumes. Right. I wouldn't have thought it was rude. I honestly didn't understand that until I read your stuff. And I thought, oh, okay. Yep. Fair enough. Uh, Why is it rude? Look, it's not like I'm sure there's people have been invited to like an Indian friend's wedding and they've worn a sari or, you know, a Pakistani friend's wedding and they've worn cultural dress or whatever. When it's a bunch of whiteies saying... When it's a whole bunch of white people getting drunk. Okay. Okay. And the alcohol's kind of a factor. Okay. And when the whole point of it is let's have a bit of fun and this is just like a silly thing to do and it's actually people's culture. Not not even one culture. Like it's just... (laughs) What does Bollywood mean, really? (laughs) I mean, on the night, it meant all kinds of things. It meant everything from like actual saris to like 1001 Arabian Nights. Like it was just, (laughs) you know what I mean? It was like turbans and baggy pants and like swords and carpets. It was just, you know, it's just, it's not a tribute. You know, people always like, oh, well, we're paying tribute. You're not really paying tribute. Right. It's just kind of a costume party. Like, hey, your culture is a, your culture is a funny thing for me to wear and take photos and selfies with. And yeah, it's an accessory. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So anyway, the people got extremely, Everyone got upset. Yes. Like, literally, like, I can count the number of people who were like, hey, that was really funny. That was an appropriate thing for you to do. Everyone lost it. Like, including the person who'd taken the photos. Everyone was just like, you, Ami, you're terrible. You laid a trap for these people. This was a private event. And then the, the festival actually contacted me and said, we're very disappointed that that uh, you suggested that we're racist and you need to take these down and you deceive people. And uh, blah, 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 blah. And I just wrote back and said, well, has anyone considered what it might have been like for me to be the only brown person in the room with a bunch of drunk white people running around dressed like this and having a good old time? Like, is that has that crossed anyone's mind? Uh, and, you know, for a bunch of people who work at a comedy festival, suddenly no one's got a sense of humor about about what I did. Yeah. And, yeah, I mean, very few, basically no comedian said anything. Uh, as in backed you up. Yeah, not really. Okay. Uh, literally, like, maybe two. Mm. Um, because, again, it's a very tight-knit industry. You know who wants to be who wants to be the outsider, right? Who wants to be the person who couldn't, who couldn't have a laugh or the person who took things too seriously? Um, but at the same time, it resonated with thousands of people around the world because people have been to shit like that. And let's not forget that Mia Friedman wrote a piece for Mamma Mia in which she called you batshit crazy. Was that that one? No, that was that was over Delta Goodrum doing blackface. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> and that also, was over Delta Goodrum. She also called me the boy who cried racist. Right. <laughs> now listen, Mia is a friend of mine, and I, oh, I but I get it. I get it. I get it. And she gets it. We all get Mia, and Mia gets Mia. I worry. get Mia. You get Mia. <laughs> and so she and so I wrote to her. I said, "No, mate, you can't. 
you can't call this kid back shit crazy for saying and so she said to me, You write a piece and saying that. So she got me to write a I'm piece. I'm not going to apologize, but by proxy Michelle. Well, she wanted me to write a, a, an alternative piece about racism and, and I and my point was very simply That was big of you, Mia. I know. No, but my point was very simply white people don't get to decide what's racist. Right. That was my right. thing. And um and then I got a lot of people then furious at me saying, Well, what what do you call Zimbabwe? Oh, you know, God. so so, and I'm, I don't know, I haven't grown up with racism. I have grown up with my white privilege. And so I try and be a nice lady about things, but there are a lot of things I don't understand. I didn't understand your perspective on Bollywood, but I read what you said and I, I tried. Well, so I wrote back and I said, look, one, I didn't call the festival racist. Mm-hmm. Could have, but I didn't. Two, didn't name the festival, which would have been very bad news. Yes. Uh, three, I said, these are individuals who went too far. Like, why is it your job to defend them? And you blacked out their eyes so Absolutely. we couldn't see them. And, and I said, if they've got a problem, then come directly to me. Why do they automatically get defended by the festival? Like, why is this worth your time? Just tell them to contact me directly. Mm. And some of them did, and uh, I ignored them. So, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. But, I mean, you're in a position where even really well-meaning white ladies like me, I don't always get you, but I try so hard. <laughs> Because you're pretty, you're very edgy. You're you're like right out there. And I know you say you don't always want to be that guy, but you end up being that guy a lot. I do. And the yeah. thing is, again, it's that bubble, right? Because in my world, I'm not edgy. Yeah, right. I know people edgier than me. I'm <laughs> not bet. edgy, right? Yeah. So like, this is just like, if I say this stuff around my friends, it's just kind of like, well, you know, can we talk about something else? Like, this is pretty boring. <laughs> We've talked about this forever. <laughs> so yeah, you're like, I forget, you know, I forget. Yeah. Sometimes how people take it in the outside because I have I have insulated myself on social media and through my audiences. Like I said, I'm not. Yeah. That would be exhausting. So like, don't get me wrong. I don't think it's your responsibility to pander to me or anyone. No. So you no, know, and I wouldn't. Yeah, <laughs> I, I wouldn't even know how. Yeah. Honestly. Good. I know, and that's what I meant before about social media. I'm the same. I sometimes I, a lot of the time I just want to be surrounded with people who think like I do. Mm. It gets really exhausting. I think the one, one advantage of social media is that it does get because. These conversations face to face, or you know what I did, which is putting people's photos up and making fun of them, like, like that's kind of that's a very kind of abrupt and full on sort of confrontation yeah. about an issue. Whereas at least with social media, with more stuff being written about this, at least people can read about it in the privacy of their own home without feeling like someone's attacking them. And I have seen people over time change a lot mm. um, because they've at least been exposed to point of view that they're just not going to get from watching TV or listening to the radio or reading the paper. Um, so I think that, yeah, that, that is a, that's an advantage. You're right. I think there's a lot to be said for being allowed your own time and space to think about something. You're not going to change yeah. your mind when someone's yelling at your yeah. face. I mean, well, at the same time, that, that also happens on social media. You know, people yes. slip up once and there's literally... <laughs> A thousand. Why did you? Why did you use this particular word in this sentence? You're yeah. oppressing me. Yep. Ah! Yeah. And that never goes down well because the person's always like, "No, what I meant was, no one cares what you meant. You've already caused offense. Okay, but I uh, mm, apology yeah. too late. Oh, no, you no know, one cares just, what you meant. Yeah. No. Yes. It's this one thing I could. No one cares what you meant. <laughs> I have probably sent. 20% of the tweets that I've written yeah. because I'm just like, you know what? It's not worth it. Like this idea of your, this, whatever you're trying to say right now is just not important enough to risk upsetting. Yeah. Who knows? Yeah. Just not worth it. Just not worth it. <laughs> you're not that smart. You're not that funny. Let it go. Just <laughs> let it go. That was my thing with, you know, 
I mean, I don't even want to give it much, but the whole idea of the rape joke that happened in the Melbourne Comedy Festival this year, <gasps> you know, it just kind of goes round and round for weeks. And I'm thinking, no one cares. Like, it's not important what you're saying. It's not, you know? I know. No, I feel like... It wasn't even a rape joke, and no one really knew what the original joke was. And I, I mean, when I read the full thing and yeah. the full thing of what happened, I was like, for people who don't know, he made he basically made a joke about himself looking like a rapist. Yes. Right? Which is not funny. It's just... Just don't... Like, why do you have to I talk know. about rape? Just why? Just I, I just... I don't understand. It's like a magnet. Yeah. It's a magnet for male comedians. It's yeah. just the minute you say, don't say this, no, well, I've got to say I this. I think it's a challenge to be yeah. the one yeah. who does the rape joke, as I tweeted, that unites humanity. Absolutely. I am Absolutely. such a genius. And it always fails. Right. It always fails. Okay? <laughs> it's like Bigfoot. You are never... Ever right. going to get that joke. Right. But so, it's the holy grail that's so he did. So he did another terrible rape joke, and a woman in the audience... I, I, I mean, it was bizarre to me, but what she did was she got off her seat and sat down on the floor as an act of protest. Really? Yes. So she, she got off her seat and she sat down on the floor. This threw this guy so much that he quit his set and walked off stage. And, and he said something like, I hope you die to her. Wow. And... So that was bizarre. It's all weird. That was totally weird. Yeah. I just thought... I quite like her protest, her presence yeah, of mind. No, no, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. More, you know, because if you heckle, then you're the heckler who ruined the gig yeah. or whatever. She said, great, very creative. And he gave up, which I don't even get. And, and I get this with comedy because so many people in my audience say, you know what? Like, this is the first live stand-up show I've been to in years. Because the last one I went to, I went to and someone said something really horrible. And so there's so much like latent, like stand up yeah. comedy anger out there that I think, you know, again, comedians just well, wise up, just stop talking about this stuff. Yeah. Like, you, even if you don't get why, just stop. Just stop. Yeah. Just Mind write you, some jokes about airplane food or. I may have put some old ladies off once because I did a season at the comedy festival and I had done a lot of episodes of Spicks and Specs in the lead up. And I did not realize that would translate into my audience. And I, at a pivotal moment in the show, had a joke that I still love. And the the the, the punchline was the C-bomb, right? Which is fine for you and fine. I. But I've got an audience full of 80-year-old ABC viewers. Wow. Thinking, oh, God. Wait, was a, it just silence? A lot of times. Oh, no. It was that moment in my show that I'd feel it coming and I'd think, okay, how's <laughs> this going to go? Yeah, yeah. And some nights it'd be great, and some nights I could feel their hearts breaking. Oh no! Thought, Did you have a line for that? Did you have like a? a no, I can't. I think I just even maybe dropped the line after a while. I just thought I've put you off forever. This because is I have f- that sometimes where like yeah. you're just committed to a line, yeah. and then it bombs so many times <laughs> that you, you come it. up, but you come up with something to save it that yeah. becomes the actual joke. <laughs> yeah, I don't think I, I think I was so rattled by this new audience that I wasn't expecting yeah. to be there. You know. So who is your audience? And I don't just mean here. Because you perform all over the world. Yeah. Uh, my audience, I guess, they're all pretty political. Mm-hmm. Um, in Australia, I mean, there's always, I'd say, about a quarter of the crowd are Muslims. Mm-hmm. Sort of political, young Muslims. Um, the other... I can't even do the math now. The other <laughs> 60%... This is how, <laughs> the other 60 okay. to 70% are not Muslim... People of color. We got five percent, and then the last five to ten percent are like political white people, activists, community organizers, that kind of thing. Okay, yeah, and it's pretty consistent around the world. Yeah, right. 
Because I noticed Nazim's about to go and play Paris and Antwerp. Yeah. And I'm thinking, wow, where are you guys? Is this is this YouTube and stuff that you've got audiences yeah, well, around I'd the world? Yeah, I'd say Nazim's got a very different audience to me. Yeah. Um, but same with Ronnie Chang. I mean, you young yeah. comics. Yeah, YouTube, sing, absolutely. I mean, especially yeah. for me. I mean, that that I put that clip up because I was going to quit. Yeah. Because I could not get. I had all this support outside Australia and the U, uh, outside Australia, but I couldn't get booked because promoters didn't know me. Yeah. And what can you say? Oh, but a lot of people on Facebook asked me to come and perform. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So I just had that joke taped. I had a bunch of material taped. And I just thought, this is like, this is just a dead end. Yeah. So I was going to put up like my last few bits of comedy. That was the first one I put up that went viral. Yeah. And then that basically became my calling card. Like that's, I got booked. And it's a perfect piece of stand up. Yeah. Me. It just tells because people exactly what I'm about. It, do- and, it, t- yeah. it so does. And it's funny and it's smart. And it feels like when I'm watching that clip, when you're talking about reverse racism, it feels like I'm watching an artist in, in whom everything's coming together at that Aww. point. It does. It feels Aww. like you're of the moment. Uh, you're smart, you're funny, you're generous because you're not ranting. You're being really generous with the audience. And so it's a great calling card. It's brilliant. It's, it's worked. I mean, that's basically what, like I said, I was going to quit. Yeah. I was going to quit and it's got me, a, it's got me a lot of stuff over. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Mm-hmm. Australia's, Australia's pretty tough. Yeah, it is pretty tough to do something outside of the box in Australia. Whatever it is. No, I agree. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, and in a lot of ways, I think I've got a lot more going for me, just in terms of my age. And I've been around a long time. And I'm a nice white lady. I think that helps. <laughs> you are a nice white lady, Michelle. <laughs> one of the nicest. And do you know? But even even I know these days, Australian television is so tough to do yeah. anything yeah. of any interest. Yeah. Um, I can't imagine how you were going. Well, I mean, I just kind of gave up. I really gave yeah. up on Australia. Like, I mean, because, you know, as an artist, like how much time can you put into pitching yeah. stuff and developing stuff that just goes, like, there's a lot of time wasted. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, I want to try some other stuff, but yeah, I think it's just, you, you hit a wall so many times. It's just like, well, what's the, what's the point? Would you move? Would you move to another country? It's hard. You know what I mean? It's, it's. Why I mean, is it hard? Well, because, I mean, I'd move if I got something. Right. If I got a role on a show or something like that, if I got like an actual consistent, but to go there and to live off touring, like that's a really exhausting yeah. life as well. And people, oh, yeah, that's one thing people will never understand is how 
exhausting touring is. Yeah, I do. Because yeah. well, I mean, other than other <laughs> yeah, artists, because yeah. people are just like, "Wow, you're overseas," and they they literally think you just get up for an hour yeah. every night and tell some jokes. And you're and traveling. You're traveling. The traveling is terrible. The worst bit. It's terrible. The airports and the waiting yeah. and the and overseas. I mean, trains and shit. Trains <laughs> like... and planes and just not having any. Decent food to eat nah. and sleeping and missing your wife and missing yes, his family. Absolutely. Yeah. Because you, no one can afford to take them. No. So you're so lonely. <laughs> People are so blase about it. They're like, hey, you bringing your wife? I'm like, what are you? I can't even afford to be on this tour. What are you talking about? <laughs> Someone's got to work to pay the yeah, electricity exactly. bill at home. Exactly. Tell me about, you said you've traveled all your life. So were you born in Australia? No, I was born in Saudi Arabia. Right. I was born in Saudi Arabia. I lived there for six years. My parents are from Bangladesh. Moved to Melbourne when I was six. Actually, that reminds me of a criticism someone told me about you once. I can't remember, honestly, can't remember who it was, but somebody said, it's like bloody Armia. Like everything he says about Australia. Yeah, well, he wants to go back to Bangladesh and see how they treat him there. Wow. Yeah. Wow. That's uh... That was maybe a year ago. I wish I could remember who said wow. it to me. Please remember. Yeah. <laughs> Please remember. But I thought, oh, okay, that's an interesting was perspective. Was like an industry person? Yes. And what, and what they were saying to me was, I think it was, I can't remember, but it was someone who said to me, because I've been to Bangladesh and dark-skinned people in Bangladesh are treated very badly. That was there. Now, I've never been to Bangladesh. I don't know. But do you come across that much, that it's a bit rich to come to this fantastic country and then criticise us? Of course. Right. I mean, that's, you know. That's standard gear. That's standard. Yeah, yeah, go yeah. Back, let's go back to where you came from. That's what it is. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It um, is. So what's Bangladesh like and why did your parents leave? So Bangladesh is probably one of the poorest countries in the world, probably one of the most densely populated countries in the world. And my parents left for the same reason everyone else left, to give their kids a better life. Yeah. Like literally dedicated their lives which is so, oh, I feel so terrible saying that because that is just not something my generation would ever consider. No. Raised here. No. You know what I mean? Like no. we're all about work-life balance and I'm going to only have kids if I can afford it. And mate, and I've got five-year-old twins and I'll be honest with you, I still live my life at, for what's best for me. Right. <laughs> and if these, that flows down to them, these, well, it does flow down to them. People but people literally gave up everything yeah. they had to go and work nonstop. Yeah. For two ungrateful little brats so they could have like a yeah. good education. And one of them became a doctor and the other one became a stand-up comedian. So it was So they got a fifty percent hit. They got a fifty percent hit rate yes. compared to the other parents who made sure they got a hundred percent. Yeah. So yeah, man, it was I mean, extraordinary. Yeah. And you know, but it's still like I'm thirty two now that I can appreciate it. Yeah. You know, I didn't appreciate it when I was thirteen or fourteen being a brat. No, but I mean, my dad sat in a taxi for 700 hours a week and I didn't appreciate that either. Yeah. So you don't when yeah. you're a kid. But now, I I mean, it's an incredible story to go to leave Bangladesh and not even come straight here. Where, where did you go then? So Sa the, Saudi Arabia? Yeah, yeah. So my parents went to Saudi Arabia. That's where I was born. Yeah. Then we moved here. Then we moved back to the Middle East to Oman for another four years. And then we came back here when I was about 13 or 14. Wow. Yeah. Just to uproot your family yeah. like that. Yeah. And what do they? What did they do for work here? Uh, so my dad's a professor. He's an, he's a professor of electrical engineering, and he worked for Telstra for twenty four. He just retired last year. Right. Too early. Uh, Too early. He's driving everyone crazy. All right. <laughs> he's just driving everyone crazy. So he's got like. So the whole idea is because it's the whole idea is for my parents to downsize instead yeah. of living in their you know southeastern suburbs you know double story house yes. and now because he's got nothing to do he's like planning these like <laughs> extensions 
On a house that has two people living in it. Mine have done exactly the same thing. And Tommy Little's parents moved into an apartment in the city and they couldn't stand it. And they moved back out oh to the God. suburbs into a big house again. So it's that's cross-cultural, why man. are you doing this? <laughs> and so we had this family meeting where he just like laid out and I'm going to do this and there's going to be a deck and there's going to be this. And we're like, you don't have to do this. And he's like, yeah, you're right. I probably don't. I'm like, what are you doing? <laughs> but what, what does he think about... Um, if we can go back to this annoying subject of what does an army go back to bloody Bangladesh then? Where, where do your parents... Well, first of all, who says I'm really from there, right? Like, I've never lived there. I agree. I've never lived there. Right. So, one, why should I have to... Like, why is that an excuse for you not to make Australia better? Is just to kick everyone out who doesn't like everything exactly as it is. Like, that's... Yeah. And again, like... <laughs> well, it's like, you know what I always think of? I have IVF babies. It doesn't mean I can't whinge about them when they shit me. Well, Okay. But I think sometimes there's an attitude of, oh, well, you wanted them so bloody bad. Well, yeah, yeah. Exactly. but there's still hard You've got to be happy with every single thing. That yeah. So, I mean, and again, like, I feel like that's such an, like, I feel like in the UK and the US, like in the industry, like pe- people would think that, mm. but you just wouldn't say it. Mm. You wouldn't say it. Mm. You would never want that person to hear. Mm. In Australia, like, it's just, it's just that cultural thing. I don't know if you saw this bit that John Oliver did about... Australian racism. No. He came to Australia and he was so shocked as a white person by the conversations that he had with other white people that he Mm. did this great bit, which was just like, people were just so casual about it. And that's really what that statement is. Go back to where you came from. Absolutely. Piss off. What do your parents think about that? I mean, do they, have they ever asked you to cool it? Oh, always. My mum. My mum especially. Yeah. (laughs) My mum especially. Um, I think, so there's two things. I, I think... My parents can't fully admit how much they appreciate what I'm doing because whatever happens now, like we forget that like our parents, like migrant parents had to put up with 10 times more and they were not in a position where they could say anything, Mm. right? They couldn't go to mediations at work. They couldn't find complaint, like nothing. Like they would lose their job. They would get kicked out. They put up with a hundred times more than what we did. Mm. They didn't even have social media to go and whinge about it later in private. You and know can what I, I mean? add to that? They put up with their babies coming home yeah. and saying someone said this to me, yeah. which would kill you. Absolutely. With, and with no, I remember, like, like that whole reverse racism thing. Mm. I remember when I used to come home and tell my parents, because I didn't know what racism was. I was six years old. Mm. I was six years old. I'd grown up in like a Muslim country. I wasn't Arab, but I'd grown up you know, mm-hmm. in a place where brown people lived and where Islam was normal. And I moved to Australia and kids called me all these kinds of things and I would come home and tell my parents, oh, you know, um, they said this about my skin or whatever. And my parents always say, well, you just say something back to them. And I didn't have the language for it. I couldn't, I couldn't say, well, you know, reverse racism is not a thing. <laughs> yeah. But I knew there was just nothing that I could say that would hurt those kids the same way that it hurt me. Like I knew even at that age. And we, yeah, we had a generation of parents who were dealing with racism for, for the first time themselves. They'd come from countries where they were the race. Yeah. And they had no way of telling their kids, teaching their kids how to deal with it the way I will be able to. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So your mom does tell you to cool it a bit? She's tried, she's tried to tell me to cool but I know, I, But I know. See, I know. Because my mom's like a huge troll. Like she's been a huge <laughs> troll of me. You know, like my mom threatens to vote One Nation, yeah. but I know she votes Greens. You know what I mean? Like she just, so, yeah. so I know that she actually agrees with me the most. Yeah. Um, but, and another thing for them is, you know, my dad's very pragmatic, you know, how are you going to get mainstream appeal if you keep talking like this and, yeah. and, you know, like safety concerns and stuff like that. But I think 
over time they've really come to appreciate what it is. When especially when they go to shows and they see how people respond to it. They, oh, how much it, it means. I mean, you know, if you are speaking to a minority, you're speaking so loudly to people who really, 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 really need to hear it. Right. And, you know, when you ask my audience, is it's just people are not being catered to. Yeah. Like, there's no content out there that they can enjoy. Yeah. You know what I mean? And even when I go to a live stand, I'm a comedian, but when I go and watch live stand-up, there's at least 60% of my brain is just waiting there, waiting for someone to say something, you know, really offensive. You know, and I'm not going to get up or walk out, but I'm just going to be like, well, okay. There it is. Yeah. I mean, I went to the Comedy Cellar. I went to the Comedy Cellar in New York. And these were lighters, uh, writers for like Letterman, you know, writers for like big late night shows. Stand-up was terrible. It was like 80s. It was literally like 80s, like that horrible, hacky 80s stand-up about women and minorities. It was really bad. It was really, really, really bad. Yeah. It was uh, even like I was shocked. Yeah. And the audience let that happen? Yeah, yeah, because it, you know, it, was, it, was, it wasn't like a quote-unquote comedy audience. You know, it was people who just turned up there for the night to have, have some drinks and some nachos and <laughs> listen to some jokes about how my <laughs> wife nags so much, oh, God. I want to kill her, you know. Well, they don't get paid. I suppose there's, there's that to think of. Yeah. Comics in, in New York don't get paid, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. This, this is the other thing. They do like eight gigs in a night. I was like, I'm sorry. I'm from Australia. I just did 10 minutes. I'm good. This was my... I achieved something today, guys. I'm not about to take 17 trains yeah. to do 11 other gigs tonight. Oh, I've just, the God. culture is just, I couldn't, I couldn't deal no, with it. Don't move there. No. Um, what will you tell your children? And, and, and further to that, what should I tell my children? I mean, when they are going to school and, um, you know, we, we live in a multicultural neighborhood, they go to a multicultural school. Look. I haven't thought about these things yet. <laughs> tell me, tell me. <laughs> these are all footnoted for yeah. like when I have kids. Yeah. Um, you know, Stella Young, I used to talk to Stella about, uh, okay, what do, what do I tell my kids about disability and what do I tell them to make sure they don't, they're not scared of people when they see them right. in wheelchairs and, and all of those things, you know, because she was an activist for that. I will just, one of my favorite stories from Stella was when some <laughs> kid looked at her and said, are you imaginary? <laughs> Yeah, they do stuff oh, like that. God, it's so amazing. I mean, and that's cute. But when an adult woman ran from one end of the train oh, to the other to put Stella's jacket on her because she treated her like a toddler that had been right. left alone on the train, right. yeah, I don't want to raise that person. Right. And my son told me once that he was scared of Aboriginal people. Yeah. And I mean, that t- that's about the worst thing you could say to me as my kid. I was panicked. I... I didn't know what to do. I think I, I've had overkill since then. Now he, <laughs> now he shows me things and goes, this is an Aboriginal car and I love it, you know? How old is he? Five. Oh, my you God. Know, I, I thought think, he was a teenager. No, no, no. I think I've gone too far now and he knows right. that it really cheers me up when right. he says he likes Aboriginal <laughs> things, you know? So what do you, what do you say? I don't know, but I think that this whole point is that, like, we're going to be a generation of parents who have thought about this stuff more and have been exposed to it more and maybe had a lot tougher experiences and conversations about it, but then, you know, we can use that to educate, mm. educate our kids. Yeah. And, and I think the one advantage Australia has is that, like I said, on paper, it's diverse. So eventually, although it's playing catch up now, because you still have neighborhoods in Australia where people literally haven't seen black or brown people in their neighborhood. I know, you know what right? I mean? like, they have such firm opinions, but they don't yeah. know anyone of yeah. that. And of course, the first time they see them is, is when the fear really yes. sets in. So, you know, it's, that, that's what I mean by catch up. You know what I mean? Because of the white Australia policy, we didn't have people coming to Australia 
of different colors mm. until the seventies. Mm. Whereas if you go to the US or the UK, yes, at least they've people have had to be around people of For other backgrounds, of even if they didn't like it. Yeah, people don't. You know, in Australia, you can still walk into a restaurant or a place or somewhere, and people's heads will still turn. Yeah. Whereas in the UK, like it just won't happen, and that doesn't mean that people are not racist, but there's just kind of a level of comfort that people have being in a mixed sort of society. Well, what about the Great Australian Question? What are you, mate? Yeah, exactly. What are you? Now, what are you really? <laughs> What's going now, on? But, but before that, I think Matt O'Kine had a great. What was one of Matt's like? The first, one of the first jokes I heard Matt tell was, uh, I think it was like, "Why, why, why are you black?" Basically, is that is what that question means? Why are you black? Yeah. Matt so really I, f- I feel like at least, you know, your kids will go to school with different kinds of kids. Yeah. Which makes it a lot easier than trying to educate white kids who only see other white kids. But that's also because I consciously, I live in Melbourne because I want to live in multiculture. Right. And I, and I make sure... No, but sure... I think even if you don't... Right. You think so? Like in Toowoomba where I came from and... Look, I don't know about the far reaches of... Yeah. Uh... <laughs> What's your dream for the future? You personally now, I'm not asking for a dream for the nation. My personal dream for yeah. the future... Re- look, I'm comfortable, Michelle. My personal dream for the future is to get cast in an Avengers movie. Not at listen, listen not as freaking Captain America, <laughs> just literally to be in an Avengers movie somewhere. Really? Yes, I love it. Love oh. it. I love that stuff. My daughter that stuff loves was, that stuff. That stuff was not normal 10 years ago. Yeah. People just, I hate the way people just act like it wasn't normal, okay? Yeah, we right. had to do that stuff in secret, okay? We had to read comic books. You couldn't yeah. just go into a party and talk about Spider-Man. But now, it's just, it's so cool because Robert Downey Jr. is freaking Iron Man. <laughs> Really? We have to fight for that stuff. It's your thing. Yeah, geeks, my daughter's so geeks, lucky. Geek has gone mainstream. Yeah. Okay. And I'm one of those people who's like, you know what? I was I was into it before it was cool, guys. Before it was cool. Yeah. What's your dream professionally? Professionally and for your life. Professionally for my life. I don't want to be an old stand-up. Yeah, me neither. I just I don't know. And I think there's something about like my persona on stage that I just think is not just doesn't translate past a certain age. Okay. Um so I wanna I want to be able to get the ideas out that I want out mm-hmm. by a certain time. And, but I still want to be creative past that. I want to be creative for a long time, but I don't want to just stand up forever. Mm-hmm. That's pretty simple. And I, w- I want to do more in Australia. I don't like, okay. it just feels weird to live here and do the majority of my work outside. Yeah. It just feels really weird. It's crazy. Like to come back to Australia and be like a civilian and, just have to do like literally like do odd jobs and other stuff because there's no work here. And then to go overseas where people are like, when you come back, when you come back, when you come back. That's yeah. I want to, I want to do more work here. Yeah. That is weird, isn't it? That is a dream. <laughs> yeah. 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 That's not, that's what I mean. It's pretty humble dreams. Really? You know, you're not asking for superstar. I would like to work where I live. You'd like to, like to work to where you live and you'd like to be able to remain creative. Yeah. That's not that's not massive. I'm not asking for the world. No, I don't think <laughs> yeah. you are. I think you're actually a really humble guy. Oh, thanks. Yeah. And and because of the seeming bombacity of the, you know, the the, the Bollywood party situation and that right. kind of stuff, I think people sometimes think you're a lot more aggressive than yeah, you are. Yeah, look. I mean, I I made peace with that a long time ago. Okay. Do you know what I mean? Even from the stand up, people assume that. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Um but yeah, the industry thing is so crap. I had people tell my manager not to manage me. Other comics, other comedians, to tell my management not to manage me. Oh, you're not going to manage that guy, are you? He's such a racist. 
Great. And it's nutty for me because when I met you, we were we were doing that show on Foxtel. Yeah. That Peter Burner was hosting. With John Woods. Right. With John Woods. With John Woods. And you were just the most normal young comic I'd ever met in my life. And then all of a sudden it became weird. Like you, oh no, he's something else. He's a radical. And the thing is, I haven't met, I really haven't met the majority of the industry because we just don't cross paths. Mm. Would you want to? Like if, if Tommy and I were putting a gig on, would you want to do it in the suburbs? You know, it takes a lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, especially cause, because... It takes I, a lot for me to do it. Because I tour so intensively. Yeah. When I come back here, I like, I want to write, I want to do projects or whatever, but stand-up to me, especially like suburban stand-up. I get it. It could be dicey for you. It could be dicey for me. Yeah. yeah. Isn't that fucked? I mean, look, suburban stand-up anywhere. I wouldn't go do it in the States either. Yeah, I but I mean, I could... not go do suburban stand-up in the UK. But I could do it anywhere. And, and I'm a woman. Yeah. So, I mean, I know walking in that, okay, there could be a moment, but I know I'll be yeah. fine. I'll be yeah. able to swing it. Yeah. But I think for you, it could... And that's after years of experience. Absolutely. Yeah. But I think for you, it could, uh, in this current climate in this country, yeah. it could be dicey for you yeah. to do gigs out in the suburbs in Australia. Yeah. Having said that, like, I've seen some of those things go just ridiculously well. Like, I've yes. seen I've seen Ando do, like, an yes. RSL, and it just, he just flipped the entire thing around. So, you know... There's those moments of magic, but... But it's uh, like, if you really want to do it, and what exactly. I'm hearing is you're not the guy who who wants to set a challenge where you can get up in any room in Australia and no, make them love not you. All. Not at all. It's not, <laughs> that's not me. No. I love that. It's not me either, but it was. But I love that you've just gone straight to, nah. Well, like I said, I started when I was 26. Yeah. So yeah, like, you're right. I started I already had 20. my ideas. I had my voice. I had, you know, what I thought about things, and I just... And I knew mm, there's kind of a limited number of people who think that. So let's just talk to them. Yeah. Because people, you need that. People say, oh, you're preaching to the choir. Well, the choir gets pretty exhausted sometimes. I think the choir needs it in your case. They need, yeah. yeah. Oh, well, I, you know, you, you really can change things. It's, for a for young... me, it's just morale, right? Like, yeah. Like when you're constantly bombarded with you're wrong and yep. you're too sensitive and you're looking for racism and all this kind of stuff. Yeah. Which is universal. Like that's why I get support overseas because it's the same experience. You need like a two-minute video to just be like, "Hey, actually, you know what? It's the it's the way you think it is. It's not just me. You're not crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks for having me. That was awesome. Everything I hoped it would be and more. No, it was so cool. Thank you. You'll find more info oh, about all of our guests at michellelaurie.com yeah. so as well as a place to leave questions and feedback. There's also a link there to the website of Tenzen Choyil. He is the man behind the beautiful Tibetan music you've heard throughout the podcast. Thank you to Tim Mountford and Peter Laurie for editing help, but please know that the clunkiest edits are all mine. And thank you for downloading this episode of the Nitty Gritty Committee, conversations about the guts and the glory of life. Please subscribe to get them all on iTunes and go ahead and leave us a nice review if you feel so inclined. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.